You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Hello, and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tori Newmeyer, a reporter covering finance for The Post. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by actor Ben McKenzie, who has written a new and timely book about the crypto industry entitled Easy Money, Cryptocurrency, Casino Capitalism, and the Golden Age of Fraud. Ben McKenzie, welcome. Hi, Tori. Nice to be here. So before we dive into your book, I have to ask about the ongoing actor's strike. Um, in your view, what's the biggest sticking point between the two sides here, and how hopeful are you for a quick resolution? Sure. So I want to make it clear, I'm not here in my capacity as an actor. I'm here as an author. But I am a member of all three guilds, the SAG-AFTRA, DGA, WGA. Um, I support my union. I stand with my brothers and sisters in the union. And we're just looking for a, a, a fair deal. As to the primary sticking point, to be honest with you, I think it's difficult to nail it down to one. Where my understanding from leadership is that we are significantly um, apart from uh, the producers on a number of issues. So let's let's move on to your book. Um, talk to us about how you went from acting to journalism and investigating crypto. You, you write that it all traces back to a friend's pitch for a synthetic blood company. What happened there? <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine when I was in my 20s and I'd made a little money on TV, good friend, friend since college, said, uh, you should, should invest in this stock, stock that I never heard of. And um, I was excited by his excitement and I figured, okay, sure, I'll throw a little money uh, in that direction. Uh, I promptly lost most of it, as did he. He wasn't scamming me. We were both um, perhaps just unlucky. Who knows? Anyway, my takeaway was I love Dave. I love him to death. But when he came back to me in 2021 and he said I should buy Bitcoin, I had a lot of questions. So what raised the first red flag? for you? I assume you started looking into this. What did you find? The first red flag was actually the word currency. Um, I'm a storyteller by trade and words are our tools, but words can be used for a variety of purposes. Some of them noble, to entertain, to educate, some of them less so, to deceive and, if, and potentially even to defraud. And so when cryptocurrencies were calling themselves currencies, I bumped up against that. I have a degree in economics. Um, they were not currencies because they weren't doing what money does. Uh, in economics, currencies are a medium of exchange, unit of account, store of value. Cryptocurrency couldn't do any of those three things, and it wasn't being used as a currency. Uh, people were investing in it. They were putting real money into it, hoping to make real money off of it through no work of their own. Under American law, that's an investment contract. More precisely, it's a security. And yet Bitcoin had been classified as a commodity. And there were 20,000 of these other cryptocurrencies out there. And yet they didn't behave like currencies, but more like unregulated, unlicensed securities. So it made me very nervous because as much fraud as I suspect might be in our regulated markets, we have a very bad history when it comes to unregulated, unlicensed securities. Um, our federal securities laws come out of the 1930s because out of the, in the 1920s, we did not have them. And the roaring 20s, gave way to the crash of 1929 and the Great Depression, which made it clear to the powers that be that we needed some rules. And so now it felt like a century later, we were revisiting a time before security laws, securities laws are really 
uh, enforced or even existent. And millions of Americans, tens of millions of Americans, were effectively buying what I had potentially bought with my friend Dave some 20 years prior, sketchy, sketchy, unregulated, unlicensed securities that might be subject to a lot of fraud. So you write about how fast the hype cycle kind of inflated here and the role that your colleagues in the entertainment industry played in helping to drive that. Why do you think so many A-list celebrities were so eager to get in on this? Sure, that's my favorite question. It's very simple. They were paid in real money to convince you to take your real money and turn it into something else. And so it was just it was just greed. Yes. And, you... and a lack of, and a lack of due diligence. I mean, in their defense, I don't I don't believe I look, I can't speak to anyone celebrity or any of them really. I don't know any of these people personally. So I have no idea what motivated them, but um seems fairly simple. They wanted to make some money. Um, they also didn't do their due diligence. Um, there's a big difference uh, morally, ethically, I would argue, but even legally with hawking car insurance or soap and hawking unregulated, unlicensed securities. Um, the latter is actually illegal. If you're not a licensed financial advisor, you should not be getting financial advice. And that felt like, in effect, what they were doing. Have you gotten any pushback from uh, your colleagues as you've gotten into this and emerged as one of the more prominent voices among the crypto skeptics? Well, it is uncomfortable at our weekly celebrity meetings, um, you know, when we all get together and talk shop. No, I, I don't know these people. Um, I respect some of them. Uh, I respect their work on screen. Some of them maybe less so, but I, I respect them. It's not personal. It's simply someone who's saying, look, I know a little bit about money. I have a degree in economics. I've made a little bit of in showbiz, but I know about lying because I'm an actor and I do it for a living. And so when you're saying to people, you need to do this and you need to do this right now, very quickly, you must invest in this thing. That is very unusual. And it's very unusual. There are a lot of red flags when it came to fraud. Even if the celebrities were not directly committing it, Certainly, if they, they didn't have knowledge of it, I would suspect for the most part, but it still doesn't absolve them of the moral, ethical, and even potentially legal responsibility of not engaging in that behavior. So talk to us about where your initial steps took you, because you, you traveled around a bit as you pursued this investigation. Where'd you go? Sure. Uh, well, it was originally done uh, virtually, of course, because of the pandemic. Then we went to South by Southwest, the big music film tech festival in my hometown of Austin, Texas. Uh, there we visited the biggest crypto mine in the country, which is in Rockdale, Texas, just a little ways outside of Austin. Uh, I met Alex Mashensky, the CEO of a crypto lending firm Celsius. Uh, Alex was arrested last Thursday and charged with fraud. Uh, we then moved on to Miami, which is the biggest- Can I just ask you about something that happened in, in Austin? I'm sorry, because there's a kind of wild scene in the book where yeah. you described this booze-fueled night out with a guy who described himself as a CIA asset and he was a CIA uh, agent and he was trying to recruit you. And what, can you tell us about that and what happened to that? Did you ever hear from that guy again? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I changed his name on purpose. I have no idea if this is legitimate. It very well might not have been. It was a very bizarre night. 
it was a very bizarre night. I mean, I encourage people that the excerpts in Rolling Stone, you can read it, or you can obviously would encourage you to buy the book. But uh, it was very strange. At our very first, and I am not exaggerating, our very first in-person event, we just gotten our press passes and we went over to the, uh, an event for Blockchain Creative Labs, which was the new endeavor under the Fox Entertainment umbrella. So the decentralized, democratized future of finance brought to you by Lachlan Murdoch was having a party and we took a break after interviewing some folks and a guy came up to us and he said, yeah, I'm with the government. Um, do you want to talk? And honestly, it felt like maybe initially we felt like we were being had. I certainly felt like, you know, along the way, this can't possibly be real. Um, looks, who knows? Maybe they just wanted to hang out with the guy from the OC. I have no idea. But, uh, but it was a very weird night. And you also spent time here in Washington. And it seems like you were struck by how easy it was for this industry to throw money around and make friends in power very quickly. I'm curious what you learned about the policymaking process and was it about what you expected or, or was it worse? I like to think of myself as fairly cynical, but um, it was quite an education. Um, I went down to DC the day after I interviewed Sam Bankman Freed up here in New York. This was July of last year. And I went down with Jacob to try to have some conversations with uh folks uh on the regulatory side and on the lawmaking side and just say look this is what we're this is what we're seeing we're seeing a whole lot of people up to no good and you know something really should be done before more americans get hurt um crypto had already started its collapse uh in may terra luna uh this korean-based um uh, scheme uh, by this guy do Kwon. it had already fallen apart and so crypto prices were already you know trending downwards but uh, I felt, and I, I believe Jacob felt as well, that, that, that there was worse to come. So we went down there. The problem was that at the time, Sam Bankman-Fried in particular had given an enormous amount of money to politicians. Um, he's now alleged to have been involved in a $100 million uh, straw donor scheme. Uh, he had given to both sides, uh, himself directly to the Democrats, but allegedly through cutouts, uh, within uh, FTX and Alameda to the Republican Party as well. So he was trying to buy off both sides. And to be blunt, he was finding some traction uh, with legislation that he was trying to get through the House, House Ag Committee in particular that oversees the CFTC. Um, and it was troubling. So you, you've had a financial stake in this yourself. You write that you invested $250,000 in shorting crypto back in 2021, you were a little bit early. So that investment sunk to about $39,000 and then you put in another $135,000. Where did you end up? I did okay. I'm one of the few people that has made money in crypto. Um, I write that because I want people to understand um, that for the most part, the story that was being told uh was just not true even if people wanted to believe in it um and i understand why uh they were being sold a bill of goods and the theory that i put into the book is in terms of how i came to that understanding that crypto might crash is that historically speaking during fraud time during fraud times during easy money times fraud runs rampant and eventually the federal reserve was going to have to raise interest rates they would cool off the easy money. And so the things that were most speculative would fall the fastest in my theory. And since I viewed cryptocurrency as at best only speculation, 
it would fall quickly. Um, I was early, and to quote John Maynard Keynes, you know, the market can stay irrational longer than you can remain solvent. So I, uh, thankfully I was solvent, but uh, it provoked an uncomfortable conversation with my spouse. But, uh, you know, yeah, eventually I did okay. So you, you, you ended up turning a profit? Yes. And are, are you still actively invested? No. Um, so as you detail, most investors got in believing uh, that the line could only go up. They were uh, making a bet that things were only going to go in the other direction. Um, and as you note, young men in particular have been drawn into this, it seems, um, disproportionately. Do you have any theories why? It's very simple. Um, cryptocurrency represents effectively online poker 2.0. There are myriad similarities between the two. I, I point them out in the book. But um, young men have a higher risk tolerance. They're more interested in uh, things like gambling. Uh, they were very much into online poker when it was a thing, and actually still are because it's come back in a somewhat more regulated form. So it was no surprise that young men in particular are being drawn into cryptocurrency. 42% uh, of men 18 to 29 have purchased, traded, used cryptocurrency. Um, and they were being marketed to, uh, particularly via sports, uh, which is a very effective, potentially the most effective way to reach young men. Uh, that's why the sports stadiums were bought, the naming rights to many stadiums were bought by crypto companies, uh, some of the most famous athletes in the world, including LeBron James, Ronaldo, et cetera, were uh, hawking for crypto exchanges. Uh, so the crypto companies knew who their target audience was. Uh, and in some senses, it's not surprising that young men would be gambling uh, in the way that, uh, that they were and continue to do so. So the, the executive ranks of the industry also tend to be dominated by youngish men. And before their respective downfalls, you interviewed two of them. You mentioned one, Alex Mashinsky of Celsius. Uh, you, also, you also mentioned that you interviewed Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm curious if there are similarities between these guys that, that jumped out to you. You know, it's interesting. Uh, on the surface, no. On the surface, they're quite different, right? I mean, Sam is... A uh, young guy, I believe he was 30 when I interviewed him. He comes from California, uh, Stanford. In fact, his parents are professors of law there. Um, he's a very smart guy. He went to Jane's. He went to uh, MIT, and then Jane Street, which is a, a trading firm uh, known for hiring very, very bright guys, particularly guys, guys, men and women who are who excel in quantitative uh, reasoning, and so. You know, on the surface, Sam was sort of the, he was sold as the boy genius kid from California who was going to clean up this admittedly somewhat sketchy, uh, but supposedly revolutionary and inventive industry. Um, and he was going to make it acceptable and palatable for the American masses. That's certainly what he was trying to do on Capitol Hill. Um, on the other hand, Alex Mashinsky, an interesting character. Uh, I believe he's Ukrainian-American, um, has a history of, uh, let's say, exaggerating some of his professional success, uh, quite, a, quite a big personality. Uh, and he was selling Celsius, which marketed itself as a crypto bank. He was selling Celsius as a way for people to avoid the sort of 
horrible banks. He, he, he would constantly talk about how the banks were terrible uh, and that he was really fighting for the little guy. And so if you gave him your crypto, he could guarantee you or his company could guarantee you a certain high level of return. I think it was like 18% at its highest. Um, that is literally a red flag for Ponzi's. Um, you cannot guarantee a high rate of return above market average without taking on more risk. And if you go to the SEC's website, it's one of the seven red flags for Ponzi's. So Alex's uh, uh, alleged scheme, uh, he's now indicted for fraud, uh, felt a little bit more obvious to some of us who are studying this. Uh, Sam's um, is a little bit of a different story. It seems to me that they both made striking admissions in the midst of giving you their shtick about potential problems in, in crypto that are that are pretty fundamental. Can you, can you talk about yeah. that? Sure. I mean, I asked Alex Mashinsky, one of the things that I like to do and I like, I like to do and continue to do when I talk to crypto uh, advocates and people in the industry is I ask them, they only want to talk about people that made money, um, which was very easy or easier when things were going up, a little more difficult now. Um, but I would always ask them, okay, the, those folks have made money, but what do you say to the people that have been scammed and defrauded? There's obviously a lot of fraud in crypto. It's open secret. Um, and they would usually say something like, mm, you know, it's a shame. We have to educate people. D-Y-O-R is the, the mantra of crypto, which is do your own research. And I would say, oh, so it's their fault. And they would, usually they would say, no, 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 you misunderstand. I, I mean, it's a shame, but, you know, we need to educate them. Alex, I asked him that question and he said something like, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's in the article, something like, if you leave your money on the street, you're surprised that it's gone when you come back. But that was quite a thing for someone to say. Um, so he said that. He also said the other thing that it really kind of sent a shiver down my spine is I asked him how much money how much money in crypto is real? He didn't need me to find what real money was. He knew what it was. And he said 10 to 15%. He said the rest is speculation. Um, at the time, crypto's market cap was $1.8 trillion. So if what he was saying was true, uh, you know, give or take 1.5 trillion of that didn't exist. It was there as speculation, as leverage. Um, now, leverage exists in a regulated market, but this was an unregulated market. And I felt pretty confident that the average American, the average crypto investor, wherever they were, didn't really understand that, didn't really understand that the, the actual money backing these quote-unquote currencies was very little. And so if things went south, it might be very difficult to get your real money back. And unfortunately, Celsius declared bankruptcy four months after I interviewed Alex uh, he's suing, being sued for fraud by the New York AG, indicted for fraud by the SDNY, sued for fraud civilly by SEC and CFTC. So uh, unfortunately, in that sense, I was right. Given what you've described here and what you write about in the book, there's this sort of armada of red flags that have accompanied the industry's uh, history over the last just few years. Do you place any blame on the federal regulators for not moving faster. It seems like they're catching up now, but there are state securities regulators calling out some of these platforms uh, a couple of years ago in your home state of Texas and Alabama and New Jersey, elsewhere. Should the people in Washington have been 
quicker on the jump. Yeah, sure. I mean, absolutely. There's plenty of blame to go around, but yes, absolutely. I mean, I try to go into this in the book in a chapter where we go to Washington um, and without boring people to death and without getting in the weeds too much, there's a lot of problems that crypto's, uh, the fact that crypto was able to metastasize to such a degree really reflects um, multiple failures uh, in our system. One of them is regulators could have acted more swiftly. Another one is actually even broader than that, which is there's a gray area between how we classify securities and commodities in this country. And we're the only uh, country in the world that separates our commodities regulation from our securities regulation in the way that we do. We have two competing agencies. We have the SEC and the CFTC, and they're fighting for jurisdiction. They're overseen by different committees in the House and Senate. Uh, members of Congress are trying to get on those committees to regulate those industries, but also, let's be honest, to get donations from people within those industries. So as an armchair economist, the incentives are bad, and uh, we should consider ways to address that. But yeah, I think regulators could have moved more swiftly. It's not as simple as saying it's any one particular regulator, in my opinion. Uh, people are now blaming Gary Gensler, who's the current head of the SEC. But Gensler's only been in the job since April 17th of 2001. So the cat was already out of the bag by the time he, he became out of the SEC. I'm not necessarily defending him. I don't know the guy. I never met him. But, like, you know, it's not as simple as blaming one person. Give us a sense of where the industry is today. In one sense, it seems like the walls are closing in. Gensler's been playing maybe arguably he's been playing catch up a little bit, but you've seen suits now being brought against some of the biggest platforms. There are criminal charges facing some of the biggest executives. Uh, and yet Bitcoin is roughly doubled in price this year. Jay Powell last month said the asset class has staying power. The industry is celebrating its partial win in the Ripple lawsuit last week. Do you think the bubble has, has popped? What should our audience know? So, uh, you should know a couple of things. Uh, first is the volumes in crypto, majority of volume runs to the overseas exchanges, so not the domestic exchanges. There is obviously some volume there, but the majority runs to the overseas exchanges. It was, FTX was a big player, but the biggest exchange in crypto and has been since 2018 is Binance, which has now been sued by the SEC and the CFTC. And there's been reporting that the DOJ is considering charging them with crimes. Um, Binance is the largest crypto exchange by a country mile. Uh, it's been as much as 75% of the spot volume in crypto. I believe it's still 40 to 50%. So were Binance to go down, that would be a massive blow to the industry as it currently exists. Um, in addition, there are other players in crypto who uh, could, I have no inside knowledge of this, but could face uh, uh, law enforcement action in the future. Um, I, I think the easiest way for me to say it is there are a lot of unknown variables at this point. Um, I am not here to give fin people financial advice, but I would just say, and I have no stake in this anymore, but I would just say um, crypto really exists as a story. Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I go into this in the book in great detail. It doesn't really make much sense as an investment because it's unclear what you're actually investing in. They aren't currencies. They're more like securities, but securities would normally be a share of a stock or something. Well, if you invest in, let's say, 
Apple. You have a share of Apple. Well, Apple, you know, it makes stuff. Uh, phones and this computer I'm talking to you on. Uh, services as a revenue stream. Um, the cryptos don't have any of that. So and from an economic, for their economic value, um, and I'm not alone in this. I mean, seven Nobel Prize winning economists have said crypto is a bubble. Um, economically, their value is effectively zero unless you count gambling and criminal activity as use cases, which is sort of what crypto has been used for thus far. But you can gamble on anything and criminal activity is criminal. So it should at least theoretically be outlawed. So you know, I would say there's significant downside risk. Um, I guess the only thing I would say is that if you are gambling, one rule of gambling is never gamble more than you can afford to lose. What do you make of the fact that there's there seems to be a renewed interest uh, on Wall Street in getting into this space? You've seen a uh, lot of attention paid to BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager. It's now applying uh, at the SEC for a spot Bitcoin ETF new exchange for institutional investors launched by Fidelity, Citadel Securities and Charles Schwab, among others. Deutsche Bank wants to provide uh, crypto custody services and the list goes on. Um, is that potentially bullish for, uh, for this space or does it spell the end of crypto's founding promise as a way to democratize finance or both? Or what do you make of all that? Well, it certainly could help, uh, you know, reinflate the bubble. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Bitcoin was a peer-to-peer -peer currency. The democratized, decentralized future of money brought to you by BlackRock, by Fidelity. I mean, give me a break. I think the story is kind of breaking down. If you want to say, yeah, yeah, we didn't really mean any of that stuff. All we care about is uh, making money. Then, okay, um, understand that Wall Street, as people originally said when they were into crypto, Wall Street is not necessarily your friend. Wall Street is happy to take a part of this of the volume there and facilitate your trades without betting one way or the other that the, that the price is going to go up or down. They'll make tons of money getting people into the casino, but it's still a casino. I mean, most people in crypto have lost money because most people came in 2021 at the height of the bubble, just like most people in Vegas lose money. It's a pretty simple reason, right? Could you win in Vegas on a weekend? Of course you could. But if you sit at a table, the money's just being transferred amongst the players. And while the game's going around, the house is taking the rake. Um, economically speaking, these are zero-sum games, strictly competitive, meaning for you to win, someone else has to lose. But the distribution is not even because of the unregulated nature of the cryptocurrency market, and actually a lot of markets, the, the winners are far fewer than the losers. The winners take the lion's share of the money. Um, at this point, a lot of that's been because they've been able to manipulate the market. Now, hopefully, if the SEC, CFTC, DOJ come in and sort of tamp down on the fraud, that'll go away. But it doesn't change or go down. But that doesn't change the essential nature of the market in the sense that it's zero sum. It's different than the stock market. In the stock market, companies issue stock. It gets them money that they, they, they can then invest in their companies so that they can make products, offer goods and services. They grow over time. That's why over time, the stock market grows. But crypto can't do that in the sense that it's a zero sum game. So 
look, again, you want to gamble with your money and you want to hope that you can win, okay. But I really think we should be asking bigger questions here. What is the overall value of cryptocurrency to our society? I mean, at this point, we have millions of people that can't get their money out of FTX and Celsius and all these other companies. Um, we have generational wealth that's been destroyed, not built up, destroyed. Um, and gambling addiction, which is a very serious problem and a problem that cryptocurrency, I think, exhibits quite clearly. Gambling addiction, many people have told me, has the highest suicide rate of all the addictions. So we should really have a conversation about mental health and the social harm that cryptocurrencies are doing. Ben, we're going to have to leave it there, uh, but congratulations on the book, which is out today. And thank you for joining us on Washington Post Live. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.